Hello and welcome to Bible Marathon. We're all about learning how to read the Bible, about spiritual gifts and giving proper defense and explanation for what we believe as Christians. The goal is to progress with joy in the faith and without further ado, let's get into the word. In Jesus' name, Amen. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to bring us here, like the opportunity to study your word. We thank you because it's a rare privilege and we do not take it for granted. We thank you for our sister Ruth that just gave a testimony. We thank you because you will perfect it, Lord God. We thank you for everything you've been doing for us in this group. Father, Lord God, we just want to pray that even as we start today's um, section that we 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 take we that if there are strongholds in our mind like if there are things that are already there consigning like you know a particular path lord and that we need to change lord god please help us not to be stubborn lord god help us to be open to correction lord jesus and lord god even as we are here in bmg learning all these things lord god we pray that we would we we'll see ourselves as like armies lord god not people to just be taking in the information but Lord God, help us to also use the information for something productive. Help us to actually go out and reach out to people with the things we've heard here, Lord God. We thank you because you are going to, you're just going to like, you know, help us to study this evening. Thank you for everything that you do this evening. For in Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. 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 All right. Welcome, everyone. Some of you are just like, oh, is this how fun Bible Marathon group is? Yes, this fun. It can be fun sometimes. Um, fun is about to not be so much fun again because guess what? This is still the Biblia series. Now, the word of God is fun, but um, the amount of work it takes to really understand it is what is not so much fun. And I think I spoke about that last week, that Bible study is hard work. Bible study is real hard work. All right. And so I want to welcome you guys to Bible Marathon. We're on a series, a very beautiful series called Biblia. And we're answering questions about the Bible. First of all, its origin. Can we trust it? Um, misconceptions, how to study, how to interpret. And then finally, we're going to go for a big finish where we'll talk about some amazing things, type, types and shadows, um, um, okay, yeah, I can, I'm, I'm audible. Awesome. Um, types and shadows in the, you know, in the Old and New Testament, how Jesus Christ is everywhere. And God has made it so blatantly clear that Jesus is the purpose of all of the scriptures. Um, so I hope you're going to be, but I know you will be blessed. I know you're going to have an amazing time. Today, we're doing a special teaching. And uh, like last week, I had... Daniel, we did a, you know, he did an amazing job working together with me to kind of bring you up to speed with what the Bible is, where it came from, how we have what we have. We answered questions about translations. We answered a lot of things. It was fun. I think a lot of us learned some things we didn't know before. And just to put some people on the spot now, who would like to say one thing they learned from last week's teach? That's last week's teaching. So one thing that you learned from teaching ancient words, anyone, the history of the Bible. Can I go? Yes, please. Um, I feel like, I think I kind of knew this already, but last week really reiterated the, the significance and importance for me personally. 
um, yeah, how do I say this? I, I realized again that as a very, very ancient text, Mm-hmm. The Bible was like the the books of the Bible were carefully chosen, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know if I think when I was a younger Christian, I used to kind of take that for granted that oh, you know, is we know that we know that God inspired the writing of the scriptures, mm-hmm. but then you never really I I kind of forgot like how much was done to ensure like these specific texts have mm-hmm. to be included in the canon, you know. Right. Like, the, like especially for the New Testament um, text as well, like the discussions, like how even some books were considered not being included because they were just not sure that if this is so. And I, I think, and in a way, that's that must have been very difficult to do because it's the word of God. You want to get it right, you know. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure you choose the right book. So I think that was the biggest thing I learned. And I think that's very profound. So. Thank you for sharing that. We're doing something a little bit different. And if you can see it on the screen, it is... Okay, I see some things on the chat. Toyosi Okeo said, um, I learned the different categories of versions and how to study them. I think this was very, very... I had someone reach out to me and say, man, that made so much sense. Now I understand why this translation is this way and this is this way. Um, so, And if you missed any of that, you can always go back, go through our podcast. We always have them uploaded on time. I, I think there might be a delay with the previous one, but you can always catch up on all our um, teachings that we've done this month and beyond as well. TJK says, I learned what the Bible is by knowing what it's not. And I think one of the major things that was a shocker for a few people was the Bible is not the book that answers every question about everything about life. It is a very specific um, tapered book collection of books with a specific message. So don't think you can open the Bible and learn mathematics. You will fail, all right? If you if you study the Bible cover to cover and you go for um, your MCAT, if you're preparing for med school and you try that, sorry, <laughs> the kind of failure you feel, angels will just be laughing at you because that's not what, that's not what it's built for. Bible is a book about salvation. And we're going to kind of get more information about that today. So just not to take your time further with a recap, let's jump into the teaching of today. So on the screen, you see Sola Scriptura. And we're going to demystify what that is. And hopefully you get to learn a whole lot. But I'm not going to be doing this alone. I'm going to bring someone who is an OG, someone we all love, someone, if you've been a part of Bible Marathon, I've heard him teach a few times. Um, But he's my brother, my friend you know, my, he's an amazing brother. I was about to say, um, my inspiration when it comes to, you know, married life, because he got married. I'm not married, you know, so it's like, it's a different life. And so I'm learning a lot from, from him. So maybe he's a mentor in that way. So right now I want to welcome to the stage. And if you can turn on his video as well, I want to welcome to the stage treasure. And we're going to be doing this together. All right. That is treasure right there. Let me add you to the spotlight. Say hi to the family, guys. What um, about treasure? How far now? Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Long time. All right. Welcome, welcome. So, treasure, how are you doing? Let's start from there. You're doing good. Unmute yourself, you... I'm sorry, like you're pulling my bars. 
<laughs> oh yeah, I, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. I've been good. Super. Let me just tell you guys what you guys should be ready. Be ready. We're going to say a lot of things and we want to make sure nothing flies over your head. Remember, the deal was for you to have a notepad or something to take notes in. If any question pops up in your mind, take note of it. We're going to answer them at the very end. Or if we can't answer the questions at the very end of this teaching, we'll put it together and have them answered on Thursday, which is meant to be our pit stop session. All right. So let's jump in. And I want to first start by asking treasure. First, what does this mean? What is solar scriptura? What language is it? And why are we even talking about it in the first place? So help so, us out a little bit. Um, I think we should throw it open to the crowd first. If anyone has oh, an idea. Wait, Treasure, one second. I just realized okay. we haven't prayed. I'm so sorry. Let's pray right now. Let's have God lead us in this teaching. Heavenly Father, we commit this session into your hands. Mm. So sorry for forgetting to do this, Lord. We want to put all of this in your hands. Speak to us. Teach us. Let it transform us. Let it not just be head knowledge, but applicative knowledge, knowledge that we can put to practice and help us to see Jesus as the one who is to be glorified and to be praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Treasure, back to you. Tell us. Okay, so I was wondering like, if anyone actually wants to try and um, answer the question first before someone someone has probably heard I this term before so who can tell us what is solar scriptura anybody let me check the chat okay scripture alone uh, we have some theologians in the house by scripture alone okay nice i think yeah they got um, it Treasure, they got it yeah they so, got it <laughs> it's um oh boy your network solar means actually can you hear me can you still hear me yeah we can hear you now your network went off for a bit oh okay okay all right so when the early protestant church or the early protestants were you know fighting for the freedom of um religious but maybe you use the word religious expression in the sense of um we having um, Bibles we can use to the masses who could actually read the scriptures and things like this. They were five major tenets, or they were five major things by which these people actually stood by. And um, to give you a bit of background story, um, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, was living in a time where scriptures was not readily available to everyone. It was basically what you would call the magistrate or the priest in the Catholic church at that time that had the books or had the scriptures in their hands. And they would basically come and read out to the congregation or preach to the congregation while um, the laity, the masses like you and I, would gain or lean from that knowledge is actually given to them by this priest and everything. And so when Martin Luther actually fought for, he really fought for us to all have access to, within, to the scriptures. And when he did, he did that, he noticed there were a lot of things that didn't just make sense to him. And that is when he found out that 
But you know what? The Catholic Church had been preaching at that particular point in time that justification wasn't just something that was by faith, but it was something that was actually by your works. And there were a lot of misinterpretations that were going on at that particular point in time. And there were a lot of Nigerian network. Right. And so when yet solar is just a the tenets by which they stood during this period, the treasure is it glory are using and that is we stand and we abide by as Christians. The scripturality Okay, let me let me let me kind of um can you guys hear me? Let me be sure it's not just his network. You're good. Okay, so let let me kind of um help out a little bit with what he's saying. Solar scriptura is one out of five different solars. Thank you, Lord. Solars. When you say solar, you mean we mean by uh, just alone. Here was the issue, and this is what Treasure put rightly. Just the network is really messing up. It was the Roman Catholic Church adding things to Scripture. So they had traditions, they had systems that they were comfortable with, and they felt this is how it should be done. And they also had the upper hand in the sense that they only they were the only ones that had the Scripture. The the late um, the laity didn't have access to the Bible, right? The way we all have Bibles today, it was not the case back then. Then it was one person that would teach everyone and literally teach anything. In fact, there was a time in the Catholic Church that the priests back then would preach penance, meaning if you commit sin, this is how much you have to pay. Literally, this I'm not I'm not kidding you. They actually did that. There are some of them, if you sin, they will flog you a number of times. So they were adding things to scripture. And in, the, in, in, in history, we have a guy called Martin Luther, which is what Treasure was talking or referring to, who was the leader of the Reformation, basically one of the leaders of the Reformation. And the Reformation basically was to put a stop to the extra biblical practices of the Catholic Church. So he comes one day very angrily and writes 95 points that you know, support the authenticity of, of scripture and to back up the doctrine of by grace through faith alone. And so he nails it to the door to say, this is it, you know, and that was basically a big to the Catholic church at the point. So it was a big deal. And so what, one of the things that resulted from that whole reformation was they came up with a five point solas um, list. And what, what are the five solas? So let's list them real quick. So Treasure, I think Treasure is back now. Um, hopefully the network doesn't mess you up again. But we'll work together. So the five solars, I'll list them. And you can take notes if, if you're taking notes. So the five solars, this were, these were the five things they agreed on. Solus Christus, S-O-L-U-S, then space Christus, that's Christ U-S, right? Sola Fide. All right, Sola Fide, that's S-O-L-A space F-I-D-E. Sola Gratia, 
That is S-O-L-A space G-R-A-T-I-A. Some of you are like, why are we learning Latin? NS, what's going on here? But just, just give me a moment, all right? Then Soli Deo Gloria, that's S-O-L-I space D-E-O space Gloria. Like that, your friend called Gloria. And then the final one is Sola Scriptura, which is the teaching for today. So what does this all mean? Solus Christus just means in Christ alone. In fact, there's a song named after that. In Christ alone, my hope is found, right? So, so that's, that's in Christ alone. Sola fide is by faith alone. So sola, anytime you see sola or solus or soli, just, it just means alone. All right. Um, sola gratia is by grace alone. All right. Soli dio gloria is to the glory of God alone. And then sola scriptura is by the scriptures alone. And so all of these things come together. And so the, the Christian is supposed to affirm these five solas. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ and you're not adding anything, you should believe these things. It's by faith alone you are saved, through grace alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, based on the scriptures alone. So that's what we are really delving into now, the scriptures alone. So let's kind of give a definition now. So Treasure, help us like break down what sola scriptura really means. Because I think when it comes to answering the question of sola scriptura, some, of, some people have some misconceptions. Does it mean that it's only the Bible alone in the world we should read? Or does it mean the Bible is the only authority on every subject? So like help us understand what sola scriptura is and what is not. Okay, thank you, Ernest. Sorry, I got kicked out earlier and I don't know why exactly. Probably just my mess up. Um, <clears throat> so as you've already mentioned, um, when we talk about our faith, right, when we talk about belief in God, these are like five core things that we are to take note of. And what do we mean when we say sola scriptura? Um, a lot of people would, is our, to put it like this, is our, what happens to like other subjects like mathematics? Is it like the scriptures are the ones that are meant to, the scripture is meant to teach us mathematics? Or is it that the scripture is meant to, you know, teach us physics or teach us something about the world and things like that? But when we say sola scriptura, we are saying any, everything that pertains to us being built up in a godly, spiritual, and in our worldview and in our mindset is to be guided or built on the foundations of the scripture. So what that means is the scripture is the foundation by which every other thing I see or every other thing I look at, it is the foundation on which I stand as a Christian, mm -hmm. right? And what that means is this. It means that it is the supreme authority, right? Maybe not the only authority. And what I would mean by that is just as how we know, okay, you want to do sciences or you want to do geography, you need to buy your geography textbooks, you need to read for that, right? But then again, what I mean is the scripture is the foundation by which we as Christians pertaining to our Christian walk and our living with God and how we view the world most importantly, right? It is based on the scriptures alone. 
So yeah. it's not a case of, you know, let's just, um, you know, let's just leave how we want to leave and uh, every other thing will sort itself out. But no, we are called Christians. And if we are called as Christians, we must do the things that the Father would expect of us to do. And how can we know the Father's mind? How can we know his thoughts? How can we know his ways? How can we be built up in such a way that it is pleasing to the Father? And the only way by which we can get those instructions or those words that would comfort us, that would build us, that will rebuke us as when we need rebuking, and that will give us encouragement is by the scriptures. So when we say sola scriptura, as a Christian, what comes to your mind or what that means simply is it is the foundation of our very world. It is the way by which we are to look at the world. It is the way by which we are to look at ourselves. It is what is to build us up to be the kind of man or to be the kind of person that God is pleased by. And awesome. then I think Ernest will just quote that our scripture for us yeah. when we talk about 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, all scripture, all, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for what? For teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. The next verse, please. So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We first see the list of what all scriptures is for. Mm -hmm. It's for rebuking, it's for correcting, it's for training in righteousness. And then we now see why. And this is so that the man of God, so that you and I who have been called Christians, so that you and I who are children of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Right. That's that's so so important. I think just just to clarify, when you see when where it says so that the man of God, we're going to learn more of these study tips next week. Um, how to really study and break down what it means. But some people might look at this and say, oh, so that the man of God, okay, okay. That's like Daddy Gio, you know, pastor, you know, and that's what comes to your mind. But the translation here, the man of God, just means a man, that, a, a person that belongs to God, literally. <clears throat> so don't get it wrong. It's really saying, this is the scope. Some of you have been to school, you've done um, maybe a project or something, and every project has a scope, Right. Every book has a purpose to the, to the book. Or every class, you probably enter the class and the first thing they start telling you is what to expect from this class, right? Same thing this text here is doing. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 is saying, when you hold the scripture up, what is this scripture supposed to do? It tells you it's supposed to teach, but there's a context to its teaching. Rebuke, correct, and train in what? righteousness so there is teaching rebuking correcting and training in righteousness so to summarize the scripture has a clear scope for bringing about your salvation that's what it's about the story of the bible is supposed to be a story of salvation so you should by reading the scripture get all you need to know for salvation and when i say salvation I've taught on this severally. There are many, there are many facets, uh, facets to salvation. There is 
the final salvation that we're all looking forward to, right? When our bodies will be changed, we're going to live with God forever in bliss, in harmony, in beauty. But there's also a sense in which we are still being saved. And who remembers when we've talked about this? We looked at salvation in three stages. There is you are saved, which is the salvation you receive by faith. So it's a note of salvation. It's like receipt. And that's where you receive the Holy Spirit as a down payment to prove, yes, you are you belong to God. So when you believe the gospel, God puts a seal on you. Now there's the second stage where there's a process where God is conforming you to the image of Christ. And we still call it, you are being saved. So right now as a Christian, you are in the process of being saved. God is cleansing. God is purifying. God is teaching. And that's what the scripture is doing for us now. But also the scripture teaches about that final salvation, that when Christ returns, we'll all be with him. So don't forget that. That was a brief summary, a brief teaching within a teaching. Um, so yeah, I think we've clarified what Sola Scriptura is. We are saying that all truth necessary for our salvation is taught implicitly or explicitly in Scripture. And like Treasure said, the whole idea is we are supposed to build our worldview on every subject from the Bible. So if we're going to look at life as uh, in general, we should be wondering, just like a famous book um, that came um, some years back called In His Steps, it was a big popular um, publication back then that led to this revolution, what would Jesus do? How many of you know that statement? What would Jesus do? WWJD. So they're like, if you want to do something, what would Jesus do? It was from a book. But now I'm kind of drawing your attention back to what Sola Scriptura really means for the Christian. For the Christian, Sola Scriptura would mean, what does God's word say? So on every subject matter, everything from relationships to finances to your health to church discipline to anything you can think of the bible is supposed to give you some wisdom so it might not teach you on that thing but it should help you see that thing so think of the scriptures as a lens through which to view the world right so that's so that's why, and that's why earlier on it was said that we have our complete world view and what world view means is how do we view the world what, exactly. uh, what do you see? How do you see the world? How do you see the happenings that are around you physically right. and your so, philosophy so, of life? Two things, two things. So just because, want to clear all doubts. So that scriptural does not mean if I need to fix my vehicle, grab the Bible. All right. That's not what we're saying. That's clearly not what we're saying. It doesn't also mean that you don't need the church or church authority. Because some people might say, okay, so that's scriptura. No, voila. I'll read my Bible in my house, stay in my house, not attend any church. Of course, the Bible is final authority, so I don't need to submit to anyone. That's also false, right? So that scriptura does not mean push away church authority. Interestingly, the Bible teaches on church authority. <laughs> so if you are really a full firm believer in solar scriptura, you should belong to a local church. You should submit to a pastor. Hi, Ruby. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you just say hi. All right, let's go on. Hi, hi. Um, so let's talk about three things. So what we want to do right now is break down this idea of sola scriptura into three 
major things. And by the way, some of you may be wondering, why is this relevant? <laughs> I have heard <laughs> people reaching out to me that just after a teaching, get questions, and it's the teaching they listen to that help them answer. Please don't take this thing lightly. God is really here with us. And I think there are a lot of things we learn that we can literally put to practice. So it might seem like you're in a theology class, and rightly so, you know, but just, just be patient and make sure you're taking notes. If you have any questions, like I said, um, bring them up. So three major subdivisions on this subject of sola scriptura. Why, what does it really mean and how should we apply it? So those three things are, first of all, the authority of scripture, all right? The second one is the necessity and sufficiency of scripture. And then finally, the clarity of scripture. So there's an acronym for it. So you can just call it SCAN. So when you think about S, um, you can think about it in the sense of the sufficiency of scripture. When you think about C, you can think about it in the sense of the clarity of scripture. When you think about A, you think about it in the authority of scripture. And then when you think about N, you think about it in the necessity of the scripture. So these are SCAN. So nobody should forget scan. this one. Write it down. Scan, sufficiency, clarity, authority, and necessity. So let's go first of all. And by, I mean, by the words themselves, you can already know what it means. But we want to kind of delve into it, starting from the authority of Scripture. Because <clears throat> I feel like that's the first place to start from. You know, I don't know if you've ever wondered. You're talking to someone about the gospel, and all of a sudden, they bring a question and your question is like the Bible says, and they say, ah, but I don't believe your Bible. <laughs> Has that happened to you before? Like, so how do you want to back up anything that you want to say? Because now you're using internal evidence to back up something that I'm asking you that does not necessarily connect, you know? And so and at that point, you probably will freeze and say, well, I'm teaching you the Bible, so it's the Bible I have to quote from. And you need to understand that as a believer, you don't owe any explanation to anyone for believing the Bible. You do have, however, a responsibility to defend your hope. There's a very subtle line there, and maybe we'll delve more into it later on. You might not need to, like, you don't bear the burden of proof when somebody is asking to prove something that the Bible does not necessarily refer to, right? But you do have a responsibility as a follower of God to defend the hope that you have within the Bible. I hope I didn't lose you with that. And I think we'll, you know, break it out um, further. Yeah, if I rightly put it this way. So 1 Peter 3.15 says, you know, magnify the Lord God in your heart and give a, be ready always to give a defense for the hope that you have in meekness and with fear. All right, so let's talk about the authority of Scripture. Thank you, Ife, for that reference. It's First Peter three fifteen to sixteen. So, Treasure, let's talk about this together. Kind of, we're going to just throw a ball to each other, and then you know, try and really es- establish what we mean by the authority of Scripture. So, do you want to go first? Like, what do we mean when we say the Bible is authoritative? So, when we say the Bible is authoritative, I think I already touched a bit of that when we mentioned why Sola Scriptura. I think when we say the Bible is authoritative, we mean that for the Christian, 
for we who have been called by God, right? The Bible is our supreme authority, right? Um, it's basically uh, the way by which we, or we say we conduct our lives, more or less. So think about it in this life. When you are, you have a God, right? God has called you. God has told you, okay, you are my son, you are my child. This is how I want you to do things. This is how I want you to go by it. How do you know these are the commands of God? How is it that you say, okay, you know what? This is actually what God is saying. This is the commands of God. And this is what or how he wants me to live my life, right? So the Bible is, is basically the full counsel of God. And why I use the word full counsel of God is because we know that it's, we see a lot of places probably where someone else is talking in the background and all that, but God is using the scriptures to tell us a story. And now within this story, we see that there are commands. There are things he would have us to do. There are, he will want us to submit under him, submit under his teaching. And from what we have already seen in the beginning, when it comes to the Christian life, when we read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it makes us understand this, that as a Christian, what is needed for our growth, and as Ernest has also explained, for our salvation and all that is basically the scriptures, because it is the scriptures that is God's word that directs us. So when we say that the scripture is authoritative, we are saying it is the supreme authority by which we, we, we put all our actions, we put all our intentions and all that under the test of that supreme authority. It is the Lord's command that this is what we should do. This is how we should do it. And so we say the Bible is supreme authority. That means we are under the commands of the scripture. Nothing added, nothing subtracted. And why? by this is it is not um the bible plus it is not uh okay i need to do small of this and small of that if this one favors me i'll do it this way if this one doesn't favor me i won't do it this way but no when it comes to we who are christians and we who are called by god you say the authority of the scriptures that means we are bound to what to carry out the actions and the commands that God has stated there. It is not small here, small there. It is scriptures alone, like we established. Not like what the Catholic Church were doing back in the days where they would add a bit of tradition and all, but it is basically how the scriptures has directed us or is guiding us to live our lives. That is what we talk about when we see the authority of the scriptures. Over to you, Ernest. All right, and you know, so, so beautifully said, because what, what, one thing that we need to also understand when we say authority and we say it's the supreme authority, we're, we're not saying it is the only authority. And what do we mean by that? So when you're making an argument, for example, many times you might use logic, right? So for example, you're trying to tell someone, oh, you cannot just say everything is truth. My truth, your truth. A day in cast truth can be you know, the, God is, is, is green, you know, treasure's view could be God is, is red. And then we come together and say, oh, we can both be right. No, like when it comes to truth, truth is not subjective. It is objective. And how do you prove that 
you can't go to the Bible and say because, you know, the Bible says, no, in that situation, you need to call to another authority. And in this case, the authority will be logic. So for example, I'm in a room and in that room, there is a big number written on the floor. And I'm on one side of that number. Toyosi is on the other side of that number. And we're looking, that number is very huge on the floor. Now I'm saying this is number six because it looks like this. Otoyosi is on the other side. So what is she seeing? She's seeing nine. And I'm like, in that situation, it's, it's easy to make an argument and start throwing, you know, I'm right, you're right, you know. And it may seem like, yeah, it could be six or it could be nine. But what determines what that number is would be the person that wrote it in the first place. Let's raise the stakes a little higher. What happens now if that number on the floor is the last number to stop a bomb from detonating. So you're in the same room now, and they tell you the number on the floor right there, right, is the last number you have to add to this bomb to, to stop it from blowing up. All of a sudden, it's no longer subjective. It's not whether it's six or nine, because if you mistakenly put six and it's nine, good night. <laughs> you know that Tom and Jerry cartoon blowing up that's all happened to you. So at that point, it is now a bit, the stakes are high. Same thing happens when it comes to scripture. I can throw arguments with you and say, oh, uh, you know, my truth, your truth, you know, love is love. We can throw all those things out there in this world. But there is an authority that even though we argue about it, because it is truth, it will always stand. And that's what we have with the scripture. So when we say the scripture is authoritative, nobody should come and tell you something the scripture does not teach. So I've been hearing things like, if you don't tithe, you are going to hell. I should grab my Bible as the authority and say, okay, this might be a man of God that said this thing, but the scripture is saying something else. It's saying it's by faith alone, by grace alone, not by the money I spend or the amount of you know, giving that I participate in. It's all by faith and through grace. So once I have that understanding, anything anyone says is no longer an authority. And this is what the reformers were fighting for vehemently. They were fighting um, so vehemently to make sure that no addition to the truth yeah. of scripture, nothing. Because when you add to the scripture, it's like, it's, it's like you have a beautiful... Um, you know, drink. What's the best drink I can think of now? So those of you that go to Starbucks, I love this caramel frappuccino. Oh my God, it's so beautiful. You know, in Nigeria, I know there's... As we know, get Starbucks. You people have smooth or which drink? <laughs> Sorry. Maybe like Five Alive, the new one. Let me just use that as an example. And you say, oh, this Five Alive is, is amazing. What if I take a drop, just a drop, a tiny drop of urine and drop it into that five. I mean, it looks the same color now. I drop it inside. And I tell you that I put that drop inside. Will you still drink it? I know one guy in my Covenant, in Covenant University that, that can drink that, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> but, but it's, it's disgusting to think about it. That's exactly what happens when you add something to the scripture. The scripture um, is final authority. Treasure, go ahead. Yeah. And... This is this is very important and key for us because to be very sincere, we 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 do this a lot of times actually without knowing, mm -hmm. right? We we 
we put it like, okay, my man of God and mm. scripture, same pedestal. A lot of people do that. Mm. And so when the man of God is saying something, he almost cannot be wrong. The man of God is a man and can be fallible. The scriptures, on the other hand, is God's word. And because it is God's word, it is infallible, mm-hmm. right? It is, it, is, it, it is inerrant, right? And all. And that is something that we need to be clear on. Because a lot of times what we do subconsciously is we say scriptures and. And that was what the Catholic Church was doing that made the reformers like fight tooth and nail to make sure that it is scriptures alone. So it is not based on, you know, my man of God will tell me, oh, go and uh, bring goods and come and sacrifice. We still have churches who do that. And the question I ask is Mm -hmm. this, where is the authority of the scripture, right? Mm -hmm. The scripture that is meant to build us up. Where is the authority of the scripture? It is not about, oh, it sounds nice. It is not about, oh, you know, it's comfortable for me. It is not about, oh, you know, I think this is what is more palatable and it would attract my friends and not push them away. The authority of the scripture means it is the scriptures and nothing else. Yeah. For us to live in this world, it is the scriptures and nothing else. Amen. Amen to that. So uh, your soul is at stake. Maybe you don't realize that because if something as serious as salvation is not clear and you cannot hold on to scripture clearly and understand it, you will be at the mercy of people who just come up with things. Like Toyosi said that someone called her a baby Christian for believing just the Bible. Oh, I will gladly be a baby Christian if that's what it means. Like that's the attitude you need to have. It's like if the Bible, if if be if you call me bigoted, if you call me fundamentalist for believing that the Bible is final authority on how I should see the world, I'm sorry. If the Bible tells me God made them male and female, and I go somewhere and someone tells me that is that is very very old school, I say, well, I like to be old school. <laughs> biology agrees with me too, but let's leave biology. The Bible is my authority. You know? And Ernest, you know what I even find interesting? A lot of mm. the secular thoughts we have today, a good number of them is actually also still built up on the stories of the scriptures. So one day I was engaging in a conversation. I had heard this thing somewhere else. So I decided to try it out to one of my friends. And we were just discussing. And he was like, because he's not, he's still in and out, in and out. And then he's like, um, so I asked him a question. Is lying wrong? And he's like, yeah, for sure, lying is wrong. And I asked him, why is lying wrong? Mm-hmm. And he couldn't necessarily tell me why lying was wrong. He kept saying, oh, well, you see, you're deceiving people. And I'm like, why is deceiving people wrong? What exactly <laughs> right. is, why is he wrong? Why? And you actually find out that a lot of the secular thoughts that we have today, right, still hinges on the scriptures. Right. Would you know that back then in the, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, the church and a good number of governments ruled side by side. Mm -hmm. What that tells you is it was, and it still is, very, very influential, even in the supposed secular matters, even in the supposed things where someone- What did they do in the courts? 
Is it not you? You not swear by the Bible. It's swear, so swear by the Bible. <laughs> so all these things that they will tell you, I beg that you must be old school mm-hmm. or you're a baby Christian for just believing the Bible, right? Or you cannot talk in certain gatherings. The Bible is still very important in all those things. Amen. Amen. All right. So I think we can move on. I think the point is clear. The Bible is final authority and you should be okay with that. But it also gives a responsibility to you, which is know your, know your Bible. That's what Bible Marathon is here for. But like, please don't be ignorant. Know your Bible. Because when people bring up issues, scripture should be flying in your head. Like if you've spoken to me before and asked me a question on anything, you notice that I, that's where I start from. I've trained myself that way to think scripturally about everything before I now say, okay, let's come to look at the situation. Like if you tell me, you know, Ernest, please, how should I date? I'm like, any scripture on dating? Okay, no scripture on dating. What does the Bible say about love? Okay, okay. Then you get, that's how my brain works because it, that's where to start from. And then it, it flows into the end. All right, so let's move. The second point, um, I don't know if we should follow the order. I think I want us to talk about the sufficiency of scripture next. Sufficiency of scripture. So let me let me start on this one, right? And then Treasure can add to it. But when we say sufficiency of scripture, we've spoken about the authority, but now we are saying the scripture is sufficient. Not only is it authoritative, it is enough. Like you can say the scripture is enough for me. Like don't don't I don't want any other thing to give any further basis for my beliefs. Now it doesn't it doesn't mean you cannot get information and relevant beautiful information outside of scripture. That's not what this means. It just means what we have in scripture is enough. You don't need any extra books. You don't need any other writings when it comes to talking about your salvation for final salvation, when it's talking about um, doing the things that God has called you to do, scripture is enough. And here are the two strong reasons I have to prove this point. And both of them were by Jesus himself. So let me take you back to the Bible. Let's go to Luke. And we're going to do a little Bible study here. Luke chapter... Oh, Victoria is back. Hey, welcome back. Luke chapter 16. All right, so let's go. If you have your Bibles with you, go to Luke chapter 16. We're going to look at verse 19 and see a story. And I want you to put on your thinking caps because I'm talking about sufficiency of scripture here. All right, so let's talk together. So Jesus tells a story and and very likely not a parable. I think this happened real life because he mentioned names and not only did he mention names, there's just so much specificity here that it's hard to think this was made up. So he says there was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. So a rich man is eating, but there is a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores and was left at the gate. So he was like the gate man, but he was very poor and he was wretched. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. Sometimes you read this and you're like dogs, you're thinking pets. These are wild dogs. This was, this was torturous for him. And then it says, one day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. Man, so he gets the grand exit by angels. You know, it's very interesting. But the rich man also died and it just says he was buried. <laughs> That's all. And being tormented in Hades, so he was being in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off 
with Lazarus at his side. So the Lazarus who was the gate man is now with him on the side. And he says, notice the words he uses. He says, Father Abraham. Ah, you know, some people be like, from where to where? <laughs> like, you lived your life without concern of the things God said or thought. And all of a sudden, Abraham is your father. Very interesting. He says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus. This guy was never repentant. <laughs> He's still sending his gates man. He still wants his gates man to do something for him in the other realm. He says, have mercy on me and send Lazarus the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. Then he says, son, Abraham replied, remember that during your life, you received all the good things just as Lazarus received bad things. Now he's being comforted and you are in agony. He now says, besides this, there's a great gap between us and you so that those who want to cross over cannot and those who want to cross over from here cannot. Now listen to this. He now says, okay, well, if Lazarus cannot bring water to satisfy my thirst, he says, then I beg you to send him to my father's house. Now this is what I want you to pay attention to. He says, I have five brothers. I want you to send him to warn them because they might come to this place of torment. So I want you to send the gate man. <laughs> Dara said, once a gate man, always a gate man. <laughs> but look at, look at the response. Listen to Abraham's response, guys. This is huge. He says, they have Moses and the prophets. Question from last teaching. Please, you guys are smart students. What does Moses and the prophets represent? Someone tell me quickly, quickly, quickly. The Tanakh. The Tanakh. Give me English. The Old Testament. The Old Testament. Beautiful. Or the, the scriptures. Anytime you see scriptures in the Bible, it's referring to Genesis to Malachi. All right? And over time, it adds the episodes. But this is the law. Hi, Ora. It's good to see you. Good to see you here. So when it says Moses, Moses is the law. Prophets, that's the law and the prophets. So it means the scriptures. So Abraham is basically saying, they have the scriptures. I'm not sending anybody from here. They have the scriptures. And then he says, no, Father Abraham. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Isn't this the story that we hear today? I want to hammer on that a little bit because we're talking about the sufficiency of scripture. But there is no, there's no, there's, there's an abundance of prints out there. How many of you know Angelica Zambrano? Let me mention some names. Mary Baxter. Uh, give me some names now. Or this woman, this woman that went to one church and she was saying all the geos in Nigeria are going to hell. And then one church said, ah, it's true, it's true. Let's play a video in our, in our church. She now, you now played the video in their own church because she didn't mention their own name. And then this woman dies and comes back again and goes to that church and says, you are part, <laughs> you are part of the list. <laughs> uh, things have happened. The reality is that when you hear stories of people that died and came back from the dead, number one, their stories are incoherent. Any, anyone who does very good journalistic investigation into those stories, you'll find the errors there. In fact, there was one particular um, movie that made a lot of money. Um, Something about, it has the word miracle in it. A miracle from heaven or something. The story of a boy, a young boy that died and went to heaven. And there were angels there. He told the angels to sing 
um, rock you. We will, we will rock you. And the angel was singing it. And people bought that book. The guy became a millionaire. And then many years after, he comes out. You can check this on Google. He comes out and tells them he just made it up with his family. They came up with the story together. And a lot of people have built their faith on that story. And, and it's sad. But we have scripture. We have scripture to tell us if anybody goes and says they died and came back, God's heart about this is clear. Abraham says that's not how God functions. Though. They have the scriptures. The law has come. The prophets have spoken. Nobody is, we are not sending anybody. And look at what he says here in verse 30. He says, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Right? That's logical. Like, okay, send someone from the dead. And tell other people, at least the person has died and come back. People will believe, right? But guess what? Jesus died and came back. Did they believe him? People still today don't believe. And he says, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. That is God's final story on this matter. All right. And then an addition real quick is Luke 24. I will just paraphrase it because of time. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus just rose from the dead, right? That's the backstory. And there's some two disciples walking to this uh, city of Emmaus. You can skip to verse 14, thereabouts. And they're walking to the um, uh, to Emmaus, and then they are, like, discussing everything that's happened. Oh, Jesus died. We thought it was the one that would rescue, you know, the, all of Israel from damnation and the, this, the, the pain we are going through with the, with the, with the um, Roman Romans, right? We are being... Um, what's the word, colonized or whatever. It was really bad. So they were saying, we thought Jesus was the one that would save us. And Jesus was walking with them, but they didn't recognize him. That's what this verse in verse 15 says. While they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near them. This is the resurrected Jesus and was walking along with them. And so he prevented them from recognizing him for a while. It was, saying, it was not acting drama. Jesus was like, what's happening? Why are you people sad? And then they start telling him this long story and this whole tirade. Can we skip all the way to verse 20, 24, maybe? This was like after they were saying, the whole st- oh, sorry. Yeah, they were still telling the story, 25. 25. Now listen to his response. He said, how unwise and slow you are to believe in your heart all the what? You guys should pause. This is Jesus. In the flesh, right there, you could have just said, Are you people stupid? I'm the one, and they will say, Hey, Jesus, my guy, you know, like, ah, you're alive. Wow, yeah, start to take over the world. That was not the response. Jesus said, You are you are foolish, and why are you foolish? Because you did not listen to the prophets. Jesus has been consistent. Look at what he says in verse 26. The Bible says that, you know, verse 27. He says, beginning with Moses and the prophets. You see it repeated again. Moses and the prophets. He interpreted for them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. So this is just my way of telling you, in summary, the scripture is sufficient. It's enough. I don't know if Treasure wants to add anything to this point or just move to the next point because we're already running out of time and just mm-hmm. delve into the clarity of scripture. But I hope yeah, this is so- clear, guys. Scripture is authoritative. And it's sufficient. You don't need anything. Jesus himself attests to that. It's alone. It's it's enough. All right. Thank you. Treasure, go ahead. Clarity of scripture. So basically, um, thank you, Ernest. So when we talk about, I'll just do a quick recap. When we talk about the necessity of 
scriptures we talk about do we need the bible to tell us how to behave or mm-hmm. how to worship god is the bible still necessary in our time and age is it still needed in our time and age and and that's an emphatic yes because we can still see like the things of old are still the things that are happening now and just as the bible was applicable to the times then it's still applicable to the times now mm-hmm. it also adds to the sufficiency it means that everything we need for life and godliness Amen. is in the scriptures yes there is nothing outside and I was thinking about it today. And if you guys actually really think about it, remember John 1.1? 1, 1, mm-hmm. The beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then remember John 1.14, where it talks about the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. Mm-hmm. It says, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came for the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And then we, we, I think in one of Ernest's teaching, and then Ernest is teaching, and then he's saying, you know, types and shadows, how everything within the Old Testament was pointing to him, who is the word. He was the embodiment mm-hmm. of all the prophecies and all the laws. He is literally the embodiment. The word literally became flesh. Mm-hmm. Tell me how else. Jesus isn't, or the word isn't sufficient. When you have that at the back of your mind, that this guy is actually the living embodiment of the word, the laws, and the prophets, tell me how he is not sufficient. Please tell me why he is not sufficient. Right. And then to go to the last point, which is the clarity of the word. And then, so when we think about this, we, we, we think about various things, you know, um, we're saying like all that is necessary for our salvation is simple to me and you and to the layman. So I will start by saying this. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, right, they had this. They said all things in scriptures are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and open in some place of scripture or the other that not only the learned hmm. but the unlearned in a due use of the ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. I have to copy right. and paste it for you guys. This is so good. Right. And what that simply means is we're not trying to say like, you know, the clarity of scripture undermines what the pastors and the preachers come out to do on Sundays when they come to, you know, exegete the word or it's trying to undermine, you know, our reading of the Bible and studying the Bible and trying to understand the Bible or understand certain parts of the Bible. Yes, we know there are certain parts that when we read, for example, the Bible also tells us that we understand, we know in part and we understand in part. Or when the perfect comes, you will know in full, right? We know there are certain parts that, you know, it might take it in earnest or a theologian to go and sit down, you know, do some daddy G-O reading and daddy G-O things. But when it comes to matters pertaining to our salvation, right, the Bible is clear, right? The Bible is clear to both the learned 
and the unlearned, right? In short, when it comes to the commands of God, the Bible is clear. Very clear. There is no, and, and, and what we find a, a lot is there are actually three major types of objections to this. There's the first one that is the mystical objection. I think this, is, this one is really common in Nigeria. And what does the mystical objection tell you? It says is God is so transcendent, like God is so high there, that human language or is not sufficient to speak of divine things in any meaningful or ultimately truthful way. Hmm. What this simply means is he's so up there that anything we write is not uh, is not made. Okay, just a way. comment on that treasure before you continue. Yeah. You so, people know what he's talking about now. There are those people who are like, ah, the Bible is so mystery. They want to find something mysterious. So, exactly. So Every time they ordinary verse, they want to like go deep. There so there's rema. something, there's something <laughs> deeper. There's there's rema. There's always something deeper because they will not say, you know, the letter kill it. But the spirit give it life. You know, there's always something deeper mm. and all that. And because of that, they throw away the simplicity of the scripture. Mm-hmm. The scriptures in a good number of places is simple to both the learned and the unlearned. And what they do in their error is they think we're not saying the entirety of human language can describe the death of God. No. Mm. But we are saying that there are certain things that he has revealed in his word. And he has revealed it in such a way so that we can understand what he wants us to understand about him. Right. And that is why sometimes we say, um, and that is why you think about salvation. And ah, you know, everybody knows, oh, I was a sinful sinner. And then Jesus Christ came and died for me. It is clear. It is simple. There is no ambiguity, right? And so for the for those people who say, you know what, there's always something higher, another plane, another level, and stuff like that. What you most likely see sometimes is they always carry experience right. to be more than scripture. Hmm. And so now, going back to what we said earlier, it now becomes scripture plus experience mm-hmm. and so all these crazy experiences that they always have no the bible is clear the bible is simple and there are a lot of things but i'm running out of time so i'll just start quoting some scriptures to further yeah. buttress the point that that's all that objections but because of time i'll just go straight to the scriptures to further buttress the point that the bible is clear to understand so if we can get deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 11 to 14 and i would also want ernest to share a link on this there's a fantastic message by kevin de young and he talks about the clarity of the scriptures kevin. there's actually a word for it it's called perspicuity in theology but forget that word the clarity of the scriptures and believe you me please if you can listen to it because it is beautiful it is such a beautiful message and then about reading deuteronomy chapter 30 quickly he said this command that i give you today is certainly not too difficult or beyond your reach verse Mm -hmm. 12 it is not in heaven so that you have to ask who will go up to heaven and get it for us and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it verse 13 
and it is not across the sea, so that you will have to ask, who will cross the sea and get it for us and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it? Verse 14. But the message is very near wow. you, wow. in your mouth and in your heart, so that you may follow it. Who yeah. else knows where this text is? Someone quoted it in the New Testament. Who can? I'll give someone and I'll Romans. give to uh, Romans. Romans what? Romans what? Romans. I'm Romans. I got you now. We're not there yet. Romans, Romans 9. 9. Romans 10. Romans 9. Romans 10. Sorry. I'm going to type the verse, the chapter and verse in the chat. Where Paul quoted this text. We'll get a gift tonight. <laughs> First person Wait, in the chat. Is that first person I, thought, I don't know the exact verse. What's Roman saying? Hey, you're right, <laughs> but give me the verse if you want to read the money. Kenja, <laughs> <laughs> please continue. No problem. Yeah. That's also, and you can see it here. And Kevin DeYoung, in his message, when he was preaching about this particular scripture, he said this. He said, why would God, you know, give you promises or promise the children of Israelites so many things. What is the point eh, in uttering promises to assure God's people if they cannot understand the promises? And what is also the point of uttering you know, strong and stark warnings if they cannot understand those warnings? Right? And then apart from that, we go to Psalm 119 verse 105. Mm-hmm. And then Put it in mind, each time the psalmist or is talking about light in a sense as clarity, light in the sense as showing direction or showing a path. And he says in one of the, your word is a lamp for my path, for my feet, and a light on my path. If you also read Psalm 119, verse 130 as well, it says, the revelation of your word brings light and gives understanding to the what to the inexperienced some translations uses to the simple right and so this already shows us that you know the word of god right it is clear right it is in our understanding right it is for both the learned and the unlearned not let anybody bamboozle you yes there are some things that will need a bit of digging. But when it comes to matters of your salvation, the commands of God, it is clear. <laughs> I don't know how else to, you know, but trust the point. But we see from these varying scriptures that it is clear. Also, if you look at Psalm 19, verse 8, that is also another scripture that points that out. So the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Once again, bringing enlightenment, bringing clarity, bringing light. And then if you think about it, even when you go back to Deuteronomy, there are so many scriptures that yeah. shows this. When you go back to Deuteronomy 29, 29, I love that scripture. And sure, that scripture is a popular scripture, but I'm sure a lot of people don't just know Deuteronomy 29, right. 29. But go back to Deuteronomy 29, 29. And this will be the last verse, so we can take it. Yeah, last verse, yes, last verse. And if you have questions, by the way, please start putting them on the chat. And this is where we have the balance. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, 
But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So the revealed things are so simple that even our children can understand it so that we can do the words of this law forever, forever. And there are a lot of other scriptures, like when uh, I think it's Josiah in 2 Kings chapter 22, when he finds out about the law and they read it out and you see the renting of their clothes because they understood. And then we even look at Jesus himself. A lot of the time he is, when he's tackling the Pharisees and he's tackling the Sadducees, he says, does your scripture not say? Right? Mm -hmm. Does this not say? Mm -hmm. Right? Because it is clear. It is clear for them. It is clear to the understanding. Does this not say? He kept quoting the scriptures. And once again, if Jesus Christ, who is the word incarnate, who is God incarnate, could subject himself to the scriptures, then what about we who have been called? To his glorious light and who have been called by him amen amen and such a powerful time i'm sure you learned something from this um let me answer that question guys i'm sorry we're already done but there's a question i want to answer it real quick dara says could you briefly go over the necessity of scripture and that's a good point so we we merged um, necessity and sufficiency together but ne- necessity specifically speaking to the fact that we need it we need the scripture to know truth so jesus pointed to it as being sufficient but also necessary for salvation so that's what that's that's really the point that's why we didn't have to delve so deeply into it it means that without the revelation of scripture you will still probably be wondering how to be saved that's, that's just what we're saying. Like you will not know clearly and crisply how a man or a woman can be saved. So that's what necessity of scripture is. Um, hope that answers the question. All right. I don't see any other question, but I think Adeinka also had the same question. Wow. I'm so glad. Eloho, I'm so happy that you enjoyed this session. And I know most of you did. Those of you on Mixlar too, you also did. I want to just pray us out. And then as usual, as is our practice, we just chill around for a bit, maybe just a little bit, listen to some music. But let's just thank God for an amazing session tonight. And then maybe more announcements because I skipped a lot (laughs) because of Treasure's birthday. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. This was amazing. Thank you for showing that we can trust your word. Your word is enough. It's authoritative. It is clear, very clear for the blind and very, very clear for those who cannot even read because if it is given to us, we can understand. Um, Thank you because your word is true. Thank you because your word is faithful. Thank you because we can rely on you. We don't have to search outside of the scope of what you've given to us in your revelation. We can trust you. So, Lord, we thank you. And we pray that even as we continue this series, you open our eyes, help us to be enlightened, help us to even study your word and love your word more in a perverse and crooked generation where there will always be opposing ideas and worldviews. Help us to stand firm, confident, steadfast in our faith, waiting for the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise to be forever praised.
In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Hey there. So we've come to the end of this teaching session and we hope it was for you a teaching and an enlightening moment. We have so many other topics on our podcast that range from spiritual gifts to charisma to interpreting the Bible world and so many others. If you'd like to listen to any one of them, just look through our podcast catalog and find the topic that you'd love to learn. If you'd like to join us Sunday live on MixLR or on Zoom, all you need to do is go to our website, which is bit.ly forward slash bmglive4. That's the number four. Or you can look in the description and you'll find the link to the website there. We hope you have a blessed week and continue to grow and progress with joy in your faith.